This morning I want to talk about the, the role of the elder. Um, and it's not a new concept when we come to um, God's word. And you think back, even in the Old Testament, they had this concept of elders. Right back when you think of um, uh, Moses. And Moses appointed those 70 elders to um, supervise and look after various elements. And you find them um, in relation to the kings as well, King David. Um, and quite often they have this description of the elders, that's the older men would go down to the gates. And the idea was people would approach them and get wise counsel. Um, and you have that reference of that respect that came with that uh, in Proverbs. Um, you also have it uh, in references in the New Testament. Um, one of the prominent ones was, um, you would often see that description of uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees and the elders. Um, and they quite often would make up uh, a lot of the, the titles in various things where Jesus was teaching. They also had that formal assembly called the Sanhedrin. Uh, and the idea of that was that it would um, be made up of about 70 members and they often did decision-making. And as you could see from the reference to Jesus, uh, they were also involved in the trial. However, what I want to look at is not so much the, the past history, but what did it become in relation to the church? Now, everybody's going, oh, Greek stuff, oh no, um, I'm going to get rid of that very soon. That's only for the people who are interested in Greek. The numbers are the reference numbers. If you don't understand a word of that, it's gone. But I do want to throw that up because when we think about the terminology that's used, um, when I think about what I used to do uh, before I retired, I was a nurse. And nurses do what? Nursing. So it's not really a title, it's more a description. It tells people what you do. And a lot of the terminology that's used with um, the elder or the shepherd or the overseer is in fact very similar. It's that so much a, a description of what they do rather than any sort of title. And so what I want to do is have a look at that. And you'll find um, other translations of those uh, words. For example, bishop appears um, in some translations. Um, pastor also gets uh, translated. But the core ones, the elder, the shepherd, the overseer. And the elder just means older. So someone who is in life... Um, more senior, having, having that life experience, you know, for example, uh, raising families and all of that sort of stuff. And um, as Timothy mentions in his qualifications, the idea of someone who's not a novice, right, but rather through experience um, has gained that. The other major one is shepherd. And Guess what the word shepherd means? Someone who tends herds of flock and sheep. And you think about that as a descriptive term and we're going to look at a couple of passages in relation to that. 
Um, but it also has a figurative meaning of to guide, to help, to take care of, etc. Um, and also with the idea of almost a rule over. Uh, and we'll talk about the specifics of that when we go through some other passages. The other one that um, quite often you'll come across is this idea of oversee or overseer. Um, and really that means to care for or look after, to give careful consideration to something. Um, the implications of guarding against something. Um, and I've got the picture of the, the Noah's Ark. And you think of you know, your, your construction sites and you have a foreman who's over it and makes sure that everything gets done. Okay, that sort of idea. Overseer, very similar to the other one. Um, one's a noun, one's a verb. Um, but the idea of someone who's actually charged with that duty. Hence, uh, building site type person. All right. So those are the, just the general meanings of the words. Now what I want to do now is to have a look at more of what does scripture say about doing those sorts of roles. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's interesting because David in writing this psalm is comparing God as a shepherd. And he highlights a number of things the idea of providing the needs. And he also sort of extends almost beyond that idea of the cup overflowing. He gives peace. He leads in the path of righteousness, provides comfort and protection. When Jesus used the term um, in John chapter 10, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep, they follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, um, or, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then picking up in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, um, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and fleas, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I don't know if you've ever um, experienced walking in a paddock. Um, when I was a, a kid, um, the primary school that I went to, I could get home by nipping through a paddock and through the back of my friend's place up onto the road where I used to live and then walk down the hill. And in that paddock were sheep. And when you walk in, what the sheep do is they run. And it's fascinating to watch. They just run away. And it's like you can walk towards them and they'll part. And it's just this brings back memories of that sort of um, event when you think about when Jesus is talking about um, the one who's not the shepherd, the effect that it has, that idea of scattering. So what does that tell us then about being a shepherd? What sort of things does that involve? You think about the passages that we've been looking at. Uh, and, and in reference to um, the one with Jesus, the calling is his sheep and they follow him. And he feeds them. Um, and this time with the word of God. He leads by example. He lives with the sheep. He was a servant. He protected them from false doctrine um, and apprentices the, the disciples into becoming apostles, um, picking up from what Steve was talking about last time. And then to lay down his life for the sheep. And I know that's more than was in just those passages. But you think about what Jesus was doing um, and he's describing himself as being a shepherd. So when we think about them, well, what does it mean to shepherd God's flock? Well, likely is that you're talking about the same sort of thing. Um, knowing the sheep and the sheep know the elder or the shepherd. Feeding the word, living by example, living with the sheep, becoming servants. Uh, and then again, protection. Uh, and again, we're talking about spiritual things. So we're not stopping you falling down a hole or getting attacked by a wolf, but rather other things. Um, and I'll pick up some more of that um, as we go through. And I've also got in there preparing for succession because you think about what Jesus did and his time on this earth was he was setting about teaching the disciples to then take over. This was also brought up last week, but I want to come back to it because, again, it highlights some of the things that I've been talking about. So this is Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. For he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors. Pastors is the word shepherd uh, and teachers. For the edifying of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be tossed tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plodding. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ." from whom the whole body body, joint and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth for the body for the edifying of itself in love. You're thinking about this metaphor, body. Um, 
the coin in the mouth, in the fish, in the net, in the hands, all right? And you try and follow that coordination. But what's happening? Every little bit of your hands and your fingers are all working together, all right? Now, I write computer programs. Do you know how hard it is to get a computer robot to do that? All right? But we can sit there and do all this and, you know, well, most of us can. Some of us can't. We get a bit uncoordinated in the middle there. But that, that, that metaphor of the body. So here's the body, but it's the church. And all the little bits are working together. But part of the, um, that group that he talks about in the front is to do what? To equip the body to be able to do that. Right to practice the the coin and the, all the other stuff, and so and that has a purpose involved in it, so that the whole church then does that work of ministry, right to to edify to build that body up to be able to achieve that, and it's got expected outcomes, um, so that we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that perfect mature um, Christ likeness. And again, that idea of rejecting the false teaching, but speaking the truth, growing up in all things, Christ-likeness, the whole body doing its part. Try and do that song with one arm tied behind your back. Try and do the work of the church with one arm tied behind its back. No, that's a silly thing. We wouldn't do that. So that's a sort of that idea of that whole body working together uh, and growing together. But from the shepherd's point of view, what's our role in that? The first part on the left. Yes, left. Um, that equipping, that building up so that the stuff on the right can actually happen. And it, we're not in it alone. As you remember, there was a bunch of people... Uh, of different roles who were lifted in that um, first part. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is travelling back to Jerusalem um, and he's been told what is going to happen when he gets back there. And one of the things he does is when he gets to Miletus, he sends to Ephesus and calls for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to to you uh, to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. I served the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, uh, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound into the, into, in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed you know that um, 
that you all among you, sorry, start again, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I command you um, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you know that <clears throat> you yourselves know that with these hands have provided for my necessities and for um, those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by labouring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's not going to come back. So what does he do? He starts off with a reflection on the work that he's been doing. Um, that he's taught the whole gospel. He's kept nothing back. That he's been humble. He's worked rather than taking support. rather so that, And then um, providing the support of others. But then he calls them and then he exhorts the elders. And he exhorts them to do a number of things. To support the weak. Uh, and he, he talks about this idea, it's better to give than receive. But also, take heed. That is, to look, take heed to yourself and to the flock. So what does he mean by take heed? Pay attention, consider, focus on. Part of your focus should be on this stuff. What stuff? The fact that people were going to rise up in the church and cause issues. Um, this thing that God purchased by sending Jesus to pay for it with his own blood. From what? Savage wolves, from outside and from within. And again, this idea of false doctrine, people bringing in perverse things, drawing the disciples away. Uh, and it's interesting because when you talk about, think about the things that Paul was talking about, about the likely motivations of some of these people, this idea that he didn't covet anyone's gold or silver. So potentially that might be the justification for some of these other people doing it, promoting themselves, in it for what they can get out of it, uh, and really more interested in themselves than they are in the flock. And that's what Paul's instructing them not to be involved in. Rather, to focus on the flock, to serve that flock. And when you think about it, a lot of that is um, already implicit in some of these um, qualifications that they talk about when they're talking about um, elders or shepherds. That idea that you're not motivated by money. 
not a novice, not in for a what you can do for yourself. I just wanted to throw this in at this point. There's also a little bit of a misconception sometimes and I actually saw this happen in one church. Oh, great, we've got elders and deacons. Guess what? We offload everything. Guess what happened? It sort of all sort of collapsed in about six months. And, and it's not that the overseers, the shepherds, are there to do all of the work, nor the deacons. I thought I'd throw those in as well rather to see that the work is done. And so reflect back on Ephesians 4. It's the whole church working together um, and the elders are part of that. They're part of the flock, but each one doing their part. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the widows summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we may appoint over this business but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, this is actually the, um, the apostles saying, something's been highlighted. Notice they complain. They don't come and ask, but they complain. Right. That's another sin. But there was a need. And so people were appointed to make sure that that need was met. Why? because the apostles had a job to do. Their job was the word and prayer. So rather than the apostles getting in and doing everything, that they would share that around. And no, I'm not talking about deacons and getting into that. In this passage, it's somebody else's job. But what I want to highlight is this. Now Saul was consenting to his death and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off the men and women committing them to prison. Therefore those who were scattered everywhere went preaching the word And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes of one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, um, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out with many who were possessed and many who were paralysed and the lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. You think, what's that got to do with anything? Persecution arrives in the church. What do the apostles just say? We have to focus on the word and prayer. Was it them exclusively? What did the church, what did the the, uh, apostles say in Jerusalem largely and Judea, but now they're getting scattered out of Judea. What did they do? They went preaching. Philip, 
who was one of the ones who was listed to deal with the issue with the Hellenists, went out preaching. So can you see the idea of um, it's a bigger thing than just a few individuals? It wasn't just the apostles who were responsible um, for evangelism, but rather the whole church went out. And so again, I know I'm harping on it a little bit, but that idea of the church working together achieves God's purposes. And that's really um, what caused... Remember Jesus talked about the the gospel going out to... um, starting in Jerusalem and going out to Samaria and other parts of the world? It was that persecution that caused it to start spreading out. We've done uh, something similar to this in the John class recently, but I thought it was worth throwing in. In John, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with us, with us sons, kneeling down and asked something of him. That's Jesus. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, Grant those, I'm sorry, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one of your right hand and um, the other on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. For when he heard the, um, these things, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. For as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So in the context, this is just before um, the Lord's Supper uh, is instituted. And so she brings her two boys in and tries to set them up with uh, the, the, the plum jobs in the kingdom. Right, the, the right hand and the left hand of the king. Right, plumb positions. And what's Jesus' response to that? It's not about greatness. It's about service. You want to be great? Become a servant. You want to be first? Become a slave. And The ultimate example, give your life as a ransom. Surprise, surprise then, when it comes to um, elders, in 1 Peter chapter 5, you get something very similar. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, 
not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of the glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And again, this same concept. Because remember, Jesus is described as the chief shepherd. So, he's the pattern. So, the shepherds are to serve as overseers. But remember, that's the sort of, you know, sitting over to make sure that things are done. But rather than lording it over, in it for the money, or because you have to, we are described as willingly, eagerly, and being examples. And that same sort of idea that Christ came to be an example, to show his, show all of us what God loves look like, God's love looks like. Uh-huh. So it's not what I can get out of it, but rather how can I serve? That living, that Christ likeness. There was this fad a little while ago, WWJD. Some of you may be too young to know that. It stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea was to think about when I do something, what would Jesus do in this situation? And that the idea then Jesus being the example. Obviously that's gone by the wayside now, so no one knows what it is. Lots of blank looks. All right. In James chapter 5, uh, verse 13 to 20, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, which will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah is a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed earnestly that he would not rain, and he did not rain for the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his ways and will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Just what I want to focus on here is this idea of where it says, if anyone is sick, call for the elders to pray and to anoint. And it's interesting because when you look at the word sick, it's, we tend to think of, I've got a cold, or something like that. It's actually a much bigger word than that. Uh, and it covers weak, feeble, without strength. To be weak in means, also poor. And to be feeble from illness. So it's actually quite a wide range. Um, and the idea is that the elders are involved in the prayer for those, for everyone in these categories. Uh, and in, you can see that even in the passage, it's bigger than just um, sickness by the idea that he talks about this idea that sins will be forgiven. And save has that same concept, that idea of um, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or 
um, or destruction. And you think about that in terms of what Jesus did to come to save the world. Right? Again, that big in, in overarching one. Right? To be saved from sin as well. But that idea of um, prayer, to be involved in prayer for all those who are in, in the weak, etc. And not just them, um, but that's something that's being highlighted in this passage. Okay? Um, as, as well as the word where to be involved in prayer. Jesus, before he left um, this earth, when he was crucified, gathered up um, just before and in John 17 he prays. And he prays for a, a number of distinct groups. And again, uh, just read through this. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And in, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. For they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory which you have given me I have given them, that they may be the ones just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. So in, this, in leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus is praying for the apostles and also for the, all the others who would believe. And again, that idea of here's the chief shepherd um, and what's he doing in the time when he has left? And he did it other times as well, but I just wanted to highlight this and that is um, praying. Not only for the apostles, but for all those. Um, And just lastly, just to finish off, uh, looking at a couple of passages in Hebrews. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same today, yes, sorry, yesterday, today and forever. Do not be carried about by the various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And picking up in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you uh, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, 
as those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us that we may be confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to be to live honourably. And again, but this time it's from the other side, and that is, and it was picked up in Peter as well. But I just want to um, leave us with this thought: that idea of he's calling people to be submissive to those who rule over them. Why? Because they watch out for your souls, and they must give account. So again, you think about what does the elder do? We watch out for your souls. And the plea is to make that a joyful job rather than hard work.